Welcome everyone to the brand new series, The Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank, I'm gonna be your host, and I'm a retired roadie with over 15 years of experience in the touring music industry. I've done everything from guitar, bass, and drum teching to merchandise, lighting, production, and I even did pyrotechnics at one point. And rather than doing the standard sit-down Q&A interviews with these artists and people that I'm gonna have on here, I want to take my experience of being on the road and have open conversations with band members, artists, other roadies, and anyone else with connections in the music industry. Because this is the first episode of this series, I'm sure there's some questions out there about the name, the Back Lounge. Why is it important? Well, the Back Lounge refers to an area on a tour bus, and that's where most people hang after working all day on a show on the road. People just hang out and relax, have drinks, and have interesting conversations. In fact, some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had have been in the back lounge of a tour bus. And since that's what I hope to bring you guys, I figured it's a fitting name. Now, in today's first episode, I have a very, very special guest all the way from Sweden, the drummer for heavy metal band Sabaton, Hannes Van Dahl. But before we get into any of that, let's just take a quick second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Gothic Jewelry. Gothic Jewelry is an online retailer of fashionable and high-end jewelry that was started by three bikers and rockers that all loved fashion and jewelry because it lets them convey their own unique personalities and attitudes. But the only downside to a lot of the jewelry that they liked was that it was too expensive, so they decided to start their own company. Gothic specializes in stainless steel jewelry because they wanted to make it so anyone could afford jewelry that reflected their individuality. Their lines cater to both men and women, and they have everything from rings to pennants, bracelets, chains, earrings, and a lot of other really cool stuff. I've personally been wearing their jewelry long before they were ever featured on this channel. And while I gravitate to their Viking line of styles that they have, they have a style pretty much for everybody. They have more religious stuff. They have stuff with skulls, marine themed styles, animal, gothic, minimalism, and a lot of other unique stuff that could fit anybody's personality. You can visit Gothic online at gothic.com without the O in the name. So it's www.gthic.com. They ship worldwide, and while their prices are already affordable at any budget, you can get an additional bonus at checkout if you use the code TANK20. That's T-A-N-K-2-0. That'll get you 20% off on anything that you order, the entire order. So head on over to gothic.com and check out if they have a style that helps you express your individuality. But without further ado, let's just jump into this first episode. Ladies and gentlemen... Hannes Vandal of Sabaton. Hannes, welcome to the very first podcast episode or whatever this is I'm doing, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, thank you, man. This is this is always always fun to do, especially like considering the time zones. Like it's pretty late evening there for you and it's still midday here. So Yeah. Um Man, yeah, I appreciate it. This is gonna be fun. Um, as I said, you know. I've been doing interviews on YouTube for, for a little bit, but after I did a longer one, everybody kept saying they wanted more longer form stuff. And, um, you know, this, this is just going to work out to be like the first actual podcast release. So we got a while to talk and, um, this is going to be fun, man. 
Um, Maybe if, I hope I'll do good, you know, otherwise it's not <laughs> the first and the last one. Dude, like, I'm, I'm, that, I'm, that idea with having longer is like maybe not a great idea. Nah, it'll be fun. I'm sure. I mean, we just talked for like five minutes before we even started and we were already yeah. having some laughs, so I'm sure it'll be good. But man, so let's just like start at the, the big obvious thing that's coming up. The Sabaton. Big issue, the, big that? Issue, the, the big issue that you interview my drum tech before me. <laughs> We can start talking about that. Dude, and I'll tell you what, man. It was a fantastic interview, too, oh, having him on. And especially especially from my background, like, it yeah. was... No, it was great. I saw it the other day. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was... Oh, thank you. And it was, it was cool to sit down from my background with just another roadie, another tech, yeah. and just talk to him. And it's like... Because... These are always fun because, especially with the roadies, because we speak the same language. I know what he's going through on the road. And so when he's explaining to me some of the situations he's in, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's great. But this is fantastic to finally get you on here as well. And it, it was funny how that happened, though, because it was right when I first started doing Sabaton reactions. And he just reached out to me and was like, hey, man, I saw your video and it's really cool. And then it just turned into, hey, why don't you come on and let's talk about it? Oh, yeah. And that's cool. And you used to be a drum tech as well, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, that's right. I, I started drum teching when I was 16. Oh, wow. So there was, yeah, well, you know, calling it, I wouldn't say professional drum tech, you know. Yeah. But, so they, they, we had this like, there was where we used to rehearse with all these bands that we were in. It's actually owned by a motorcycle club. And there was like, yeah, rehearsal rooms that we, we could could uh, rent, you know, and there was a band there and they were like a lot older than us. And they had like, they had a good thing going for them, you know? So we were always over there. And, and also like their drummer, he was there all the time playing. Like, I think he was even delivering mail by night. So he would even like be there the whole day and then they would start at two in the night or something. So he would yeah. be drumming all the time. And so was I. So I would hang out with him a lot and talk about drumming. And he taught me a lot up there. And then they asked me if I wanted to go on a tour with them, actually. Oh, that's wild. So I started wow. drum taking, you know, for, uh, for a few bucks per, per show. But they did like a few European tours. And we did support for Hardcore Superstar, DAD, a Danish rock band. So, that, so yeah. Was, that's was cool. That's awesome. I totally know what you said. What you said, I started working for a few a few bucks. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, when I tell my friends, like, you know, I work for bands and stuff, they're like, oh, it's got to be good money, right? And it's like, I mean, it took me years to get to the point where I was actually making a livable salary. My my first gig I ever had, I think was like 50 US dollars a day, like per show yeah. day, you know? Sure, and it's, yeah. and it's, it's, it's funny though, because the same thing happened to me. It was totally on accident. You know, I, uh, I had been in a band and one of the bands that we were touring with, I had become friends with them. And I just told them, I was like, you know, I'm not really enjoying being in the, being in the band. It's not the road being on the, on the road or anything. It's just, I don't enjoy being in the band anymore. And when I told them I was going to quit, they were like, you want to come work for us? And I was like, yeah, why not? That might be fun. Band. What's that? that the same band? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. It's a band called red. Um, no. They're a hard rock band from Nashville, but yeah, we, we were opening for them on tour. And then when I quit my band, they were like, come work for us. So <laughs> my first gig ever was doing merchandise and lighting for this band. And then eventually it got to a point where, um, you know how it works when you're on a small crew. It's like, you just start picking up other gigs. 
So yeah. their drummer at the time um, taught me basically everything I needed to know about drums and I became his tech. Yeah, so that cool. so that got me into drum teching and then I started bass teching and guitar teching and all that. Um, and then it got to where I am now and it's crazy because like, you know, we were on tour when the pandemic happened and we all got sent home and didn't know what I was going to do. But in the weirdest way possible, everything worked out perfectly because right when we got home, found out my wife was pregnant mm -hmm. and then I was able to start doing YouTube and video stuff, which I knew nothing about until I started it. And then it's kind of just turned into this to the point where like, I'm really not going to go back out on tour unless it's something, you know, interesting that comes up. Um, Eskimo Callboy from Germany is coming to the U.S. at the end of the year, and they asked me to go guitar tech on that, which I I'm probably going to do because it'll be super fun and, you know, probably turn it into some YouTube content and stuff like that, too. But, um, but is that like then the, the best of two worlds? Then you can actually choose the tours you want to do and that, you know, you yeah. have that option for, for like you can more going to, you know, this would be fun to do. Yeah. And you you'll make money, etc. But which is totally, you know, perfect in that sense. You know, yeah. and it's 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 cool too because I never, in my entire career that I worked for bands, it was never like a. I never went and specifically worked for anybody that I wanted to. Like, I never really had a choice, you know? It was something was presented to me and I took it. And don't get me wrong, I worked for some really cool bands that I enjoy. But for the most part, I was kind of an oddball out in terms of my music taste. Like, I'm a metalhead through and through. And for the past six years, I was working for a country artist from Nashville. So, like, yeah. you know, and the funny thing is all the roadies from the metal world are now starting to go to country because they only tour on weekends and the pay mm. is actually pretty good. So like our monitor engineer on my tour with me was the old monitor engineer for like dying fetus and cannibal corpse and stuff like that. And then yeah. we've, we've got guys from like the warp tour scene out with us now too. And it's, it's fun, man. But um, let's dig into um, um, you know, what you got with Sabaton real quick, because just over a week from right now while we're filming new albums coming out, man, the war to end all wars coming out March 4th, dude, I'm super excited, especially after seeing the three singles that have released already. Um, and one of the other things that I, I love about a lot of your recent releases too, is that, uh, Jonas Shelgren has been recording all of it and it sounds good, man. How is it recording with him? It's so smooth to record with Jonas. I mean, this is our second album that he's doing, like the whole production. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, he's been doing uh, like the bonus tracks and uh, some mix live mixes and stuff like that. So um, yeah, man, it's it's a it's it's great fun actually. He he's a funny guy. Yeah, and he's. Um, yeah, I think like the way he works in any sense, when you come into a new place <clears throat> or like to work with new people that you haven't worked like that, it takes a while to find your, your flow in it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can honestly say that I have not been laughing as much recording, uh, albums than I have with him. Yeah. That makes fast, like super fast. He, he, he knows what he wants and, and uh, you know, he already thought about it when we get there, you know, and then 
you know, I had this, here's a good example, you know, when we did the Great War, I used um, a Yamaha steel snare, recording custom snare, I think it was. And for the War to End All Wars recording, I called him up before and I'm like, dude, I'm bringing a few extra snare drums. He's like, why? Yeah, so we can try some stuff out. Yeah, but you didn't like the snare sound on the previous one. Oh, I loved it. Okay, don't bring any other snares. Let's use that one. It was great. Which I kind of like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yes. It's kind of to the point, you know. So, yeah, I really like it. That's awesome. And then in the middle of a recording, he can try to sell you his car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And that makes, yeah. I mean, dude, a good producer not only just a good producer on the technical side of things, but somebody that's fun to be around like that, man. I mean, that makes a huge difference because I've, yeah. I've worked with some artists that when they're in the studio, like they're excited to be recording, but it also seems like a painful process rather than yeah. fun and stuff like that. So that's awesome. And yeah, oh, it, it can totally be painful. Yeah. yeah. In, no, he's to totally sweet guy. And no, I love that guy. And also like he, he's, he does things his own way. And I think that's a really good strength of his, you know, and um, yeah, super. And I'm super happy with the sound of, of the new album too. It's kind of, you know, the things that we might have, you know, when you release it, there's always going to be some stuff after a while that, yeah, maybe we should have done that differently or I should have done that differently. So now we had the chance because we want to keep it very similar to the Great War. Mm -hmm. Tweak it a bit, you know, and do the changes that, that we want to do. Yeah. yeah, that's all. That's that's great, man. And it's it's funny because to me, he is like when I grew up, um, I discovered like the Swedish metal scene pretty early on in my teenage years. I had a friend whose older brother was super into like in flames, dark tranquility at the gates, all that stuff. And then I discovered scar symmetry. So he's he's a guy that to me has been like kind of a legend since I've been a teenager. And then when I found out, you know, when I started getting into the Sabaton production side of things, when I found out he was doing all that stuff, I was like, that is awesome. Like, and yeah. it seems like a very tightly connected community out there in that Swedish scene too, man. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, it is. I guess it is. And he's been doing so, so much stuff. Um, uh, you know, all the project he's been doing, yeah, multi-talented, uh, great. And now he's putting out the Iron Master stuff. It's a death metal project again. Yeah. Super fucking cool. Yeah, he just seems super busy. I mean, it's, speaking speaking of the Swedish um, connection stuff, have you have you seen or heard the new Halo Effect stuff yet? Uh, yeah, I heard the first single. The Shadow Mines? Dude, that yeah. is like... I've been so excited about that just because that sound to me is like the sound of my teenage years. Like the, the Gothenburg metal scene really shaped my musical taste a lot when I was a kid. And it's it's really funny because while I was really familiar with it, I realized it never got huge outside of the small metal pocket in the US. Like even yeah. even uh, up, um, I had never heard of Evergrey until I started my YouTube channel, a band that you've also played with. And like when I found out about that band, somebody's like, dude, this band's been around for like, 20 years or longer. And I was like, what? Like it, yeah. it blows my mind how much music is all over the place. And it just yeah. never makes it to the other side of the world ever. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And it's like, but that, that goes for a lot of bands. Like to, Europe is, is one 
complete different market to to mm-hmm. to the US and then Asia is also very different in that sense. Yeah. Like also people- we can have like bands that are even up here, you know, we can have bands that are huge in Finland, but do smaller shows here and vice versa. Yeah. People didn't believe me when I first started my YouTube channel and told like I'd never listened to Nightwish. I'd never listened to Sabaton. I'd never listened to like Blind Guardian, who's huge in Germany. Like so yeah. many big bands in the European market that just never got gigantic exposure here. But I feel like in the last couple of years, a lot of that's changed, man. And I don't, I don't want to like take credit on behalf of like you know reactors on YouTube or anything like that. But I, I feel like with the exposure with a lot of these bands, especially online nowadays. You're starting to hear about a lot of bands that we've never heard about before, and it's it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And that's super helpful. I mean, YouTube and also like music video wise, you know, like it is the new MTV, but a lot mm-hmm. better in that sense. Yeah. And, and but as you know what, and, and when I joined Every Gray, I never heard about them either. Really. Yeah, but that's like me in a nutshell. Sometimes I just tend to live under a rock and I was so focused on other things at that time. So yeah. so uh, I remember I was at that point taking drum lessons from a guy called Snowy Shaw. Oh, yeah. He used to play for King Diamond and Merciful Fate and Dream Evil. And, and, uh, and he recommended me to join them, you know. Well, didn't, didn't Snowy fill in for Sabaton for a while? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's for happy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that, there you have the scene. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say like the living under a rock thing because it's it's the same for me. There's there's bands from here that I've just now discovered too that have been around for a while. But one of the funny things, like especially in your area too, is um, or that I've noticed from doing reaction videos, one of the bands I like to point out is uh, Orbit Culture. There's a lot oh, yeah. of people. There's a lot of people that have discovered Orbit Culture from reaction videos, and I've had people tell me they're like, "Dude, I live 20 minutes from their hometown, and I had never heard of them until I saw them on YouTube." Like, yeah, it's, oh yeah, that's crazy. That's a great bunch of kids. Yeah, I love uh, it. Yeah, so dude, cool. I I love their band. I had Nicholas on here too, and he's just such a nice guy. I feel like Nicholas eventually might be like another guy like uh jonas who you're gonna see like doing a lot of production for a lot of bands and stuff because he uh he works on all the orbit culture albums himself like he does everything and i think that's cool that you know they signed with a label that allows allows him to just have free creativity on everything like that um i think you have to funny though like uh we were listening to one of their albums this summer so we were driving down south Sweden for a vacation and when me and my wife goes like driving somewhere it's like uh always like a war of what music we're gonna play <laughs> same with me and my wife <laughs> which is like crazy and she's so fucking picky about it too like super picky about the music but um so th- we were trying a lot and like she fi- finds like half the bands i play is like super annoying and then it's like, what about this? And and she really liked it. So we listened to Orbit Culture for for many miles. Yeah, they had cool. they had an EP come out uh, late last year, but their their album that released in 2020, um, Nija, is just like right. I, yeah. it, it blew me away. I was I I really think those guys are going places. And you know, for me, it's, Sweden has always been a great music scene. Man, I like everything. Pretty much every band that I've ever discovered coming out of there. 
And when I was a kid, we actually had some big crossover bands like Hammerfall was on MTV all the time when I was younger. And then mm -hmm. um, In Flames and Soil Work as well. Same thing. Like yeah. you, could, you could turn on MTV2 or Headbangers Ball and they'd be on all the time. Yeah. Um, but man, um, you know, speaking of we're, we're talking about music videos and stuff. The last three videos that you guys have put out and really past that, you guys have been just crushing it with music videos lately in terms of the production and stuff. But specifically with uh, Christmas Truce and The Unkillable Soldier, again, I mean, that was like just pure cinematic. I mean, that, those are movies, basically. Um, as opposed to something like Soldier of Heaven, where all you got to do is sit and play pretty much and don't get me wrong i know that gets tedious too because you have to do so many takes but how different is it for you guys to go in and do something like a christmas truce um is that more stressful for you or is it more fun how is that it's a great question actually because so here's my take on that i think i i think well before i did it i had in my head that being an actor is like a walk in the park. Yeah, it's like um, it's like it's totally easy job. And I don't know why I thought thought about it like that, but that's the way I thought about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought it was easy, and then we decided on going for Christmas trees and do like so much more acting, and going to a production like that with a production company. And the director that's used to doing, you know, Netflix productions and huge movies, you know, and in comes five, you know, musicians that have that shouldn't be there in the first. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of rehearsing, you know, and, and like he also would pick the roles on what to play. So I was picked by getting blown up and, and all this stuff, you know, and I'm like, hey, I don't know. But then, so you come there and we do a lot of testing of the wardrobe and stuff like that, right? And then before you shoot anything, it's because it's such a long setup time, you do rehearsals on set. Yeah. And I think they were kind of still, you know, very used to professional actors. So I was there in the trenches from the scenes in the beginning running around. Yeah. And it was the, the AD, the DOP and the director standing there, you know? And the, the 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 art director, he's like, yeah, you know what to do. You've read the the script. Let, let's just go for it, you know. And they have the, this, you know, camera on a it's called trolley. Yeah, yeah. Or like on a rails, right? Yeah, the trolley or the rail system. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, just imagine you're in 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 this war scene, and you know what to do. And I'm like, yeah, do I really? <laughs> So they're like, okay, action. And I started running, you know? Yeah. And after a while, there was like, cut, cut, cut. And everybody started laughing. And I'm like, what the fuck are you laughing about? Well, you look like an idiot, you know? <laughs> I'm like, do I really? And he's like, yeah, I'll show you on the, on the playback. And I was like, holy shit, that looks ridiculous. It's like, okay, I need, I need some help here, you know? And what's crazy is that what you don't think about when watching a movie or or whatever music video is that everything is so scripted and like you literally have to rehearse every step you take mm -hmm. do it in the right speed so you don't run into a camera or some other guys rehearse to come in from that that way and then 
there are, will be explosions which you have to react and your expression in your face will have to be right. So there's like this long thing that you have to get every second right. And with that being said, we don't even have any dialogue. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a good point. So after that, and this is like five in the morning, you know, like, I don't know how many hours we shot that those scenes. Yeah. So and you're tired and you have a hard time focusing. So man, I have the deepest respect for for actors. Holy shit. You yeah. know, really. It's, it's a tough fucking job. Actually, I think somebody did have a dialogue because I remember somebody yelling your name in that in the beginning of the video when you yeah, got maybe that, that was <laughs> that, that was maybe what they thought we could handle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, so imagine though, like movie wise, I think the hardest ones are not like Tom Cruise running around on, oh, you know, I have respect for that as well, flying off a airplane and stuff. But imagine those like movies where you have a lot of dialogue, like yeah. a couple of minutes. Yeah, and and it gets, there's there's some movies I've I've been really hyper aware of that lately. So when I'm watching movies with my wife and stuff, I've noticed when because because most of the time in a movie when there's a different camera when there's a camera cut. There's been a cut there. They're doing it's so it's a completely different take. Yeah. But I've noticed in some movies I've been watching lately that if there's like a really long take with one camera, that it's like been like a two or three minute sequence. And I'll look at my wife and be like, they've been on the same camera for like three minutes. So that means they've been doing this same take that long. That's insane. And I have so much respect for that. And if you talk about like a lot of stuff that's CGI'd, whether it's explosions or like monsters or stuff like that, you do, you have to basically make faces at things that aren't there, which is, yeah, that yeah. seems wild to me. Like you have to pre yeah. pretend something just blew up next to you and be like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, so hard. And, and you could also notice like making that and also like resetting all the special effects takes a few hours. Yeah. So if you ask the drummer and a very lousy actor fuck up the scene, that's going to mean two hours more work for them. Yeah. yeah. And you could sense that like, oh, here he comes, you know, and then there would be people flying, you get dirt in your face. And I remember we had, that wasn't that video, but we had a video a few years ago where the director came up to me and he said, okay, listen to me. I want you to, with your face, show me hope anger, happiness, and I'm like, stop. <laughs> maybe I can do one. Yeah. You know? I can only do one at a time, yeah. maybe. I can't do all of those. So yeah, hey, actors. That's when, that's when uh, like doing doing reactions on YouTube a lot, a, a lot of reactors come under scrutiny for, for acting, for like, yeah. you know, you've seen this before, you're faking. I'm like, I'll tell you right now, I could not act my way through faking a reaction. Like if I if I watched something beforehand and then tried to act surprised, like you'd see it immediately. Like I'm yeah. terrible at that stuff too, man. And I've I've worked on a couple of music videos, um, you know, when I was working for bands, and one of them was just a performance video, which is you know fairly simple. They're just like, all right, play the song ten times to playback, and we'll get a bunch of shots and then clip it together. Yeah. But then we we also did one that. The, the song itself was like four minutes, but the music video ended up being nine because there was like three minutes of story before it and then two minutes of story oh. after it and tons of pyro and tons of extras and the extras they had on the video were fans that just did like an open call to come. So now you're talking people that not only are they not actors, 
but they're also not stage performers and they're they're fans of the band so combine that with the fact that they're starstruck the whole time by being on the same set with the band it took us we started filming this video at i think it was like 8 a.m and i think we we went a solid 24 hours before we even like took a break and it was like I just, I, you know, watching watching your your videos like that with a lot of story, I just, I really try and put myself there and just being there's so much work that goes into this and yeah, you know, and I think I, I think Christmas Truce was one of those that I think a lot of other people saw that too because most of the comments I saw on that were like this is like a goddamn movie, like it's yeah. ridiculous, um, but man, it's it it's it's exciting and I think. I don't know if you can divulge this information, but I've heard there's going to be, is there going to be another video release before next Friday or no? I think we're too close now. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. I, I thought I had heard that, but I wasn't sure. Um, but um, so the album's going to come out and bummer, the day the album was coming out was the day that you guys were supposed to start that European headlining tour, which got, got you know, postponed. And as far as I've seen, the dates aren't, fully rescheduled yet but the tour in sweden is still on as of right now right oh yeah yeah fourth yeah. of april it starts so a month after the album release dude i was looking at the routing for that and i there's like a show every day you guys have like yeah. no days off man no, like, that's the way we like it dude that's uh some some tours i like like that but others i i did one tour once that ruined me for days off um I did merchandise for Van Halen in like 2012 yeah. and those guys are getting so old now that they never did two shows in a row. It was always one show and then at least two days off in the next yeah. city. And it's like, that kind of ruined me from like days off on the road. I was like, I just want to keep going at this point. Like yeah, the thing is that you get when you, you at, 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 at a point you get into a certain flow, you know? Yeah. And every time there's a day off, like when you did, like for me, uh, perfect is like four in a row and then a day off because then you really, yeah. really want it and you need it and you need, want to get away and rest yeah. up and whatnot. And But when you have those days off so often, you get kind of thrown off the touring mode and then you're back into it and then it's pause again. So now yeah. I prefer to be a bit more. And now we're doing 30, 30 days in, in, uh, in Sweden, 30 dates, sorry. Yeah, I saw that. It goes so it starts early April, and I think it goes to just past mid-May. But yeah. again, yeah, it's and and because I'm not familiar with a lot of the, the the towns, you know, other than the major cities in Sweden, what are what are a lot of those venues? Are a lot of those just like clubs and stuff? Is that going to be small, intimate stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's the whole plan of the whole whole tour. That's awesome, man. That's so yeah. cool. This is a tour that we we have talked about for many years, and. Um... I think it's going to be one of the 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 most fun tours in in a very long, very long time. Duh. Yeah, it's going to be the best tour in two years. Yeah, no yeah, shit. yeah. Well, it's, you know, no, but in in a very long time, because because like playing those small venues, we we rarely do it, and and I, I know that a lot of people in the band want to do it, so I'm super stoked about it. And to see people that up close, it's going to be sweaty. It's going to be rock show sweaty great yeah. i can't wait for it and those are those are great at times i actually saw when when the judas priest tour canceled i saw you guys did that like last minute show in denver 
Yeah, that's uh, the kind of venues we're going to do. Dude, yeah. and I, I saw somebody had posted like the entire concert on YouTube. It was cell phone footage, so it wasn't the best quality sound or anything. But I watched like the opening few songs of that. And it's like, that's the vibe, man. That just like sweaty, loud rock club. We're just like, you're yeah. right there in the moment, man. I love stuff like that. Now, yeah, me too. As, as a roadie. I'd prefer an arena every day just for the room to work, but but in terms of the performance, I get it. Um, and then after that, summer festival season starts. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. dude, summer festivals are the best because it's it's not only is it fun, but it's like a family reunion. I imagine you get to see a lot of people that you don't normally get to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's maybe kind of the things that that you. That, you know that that we're missing in in pandemic. You know, you, you would have weekends like that. You would meet, you know, your people, if you will, you know, and, and hang out. But and that was kind of the normal, you know. Um. So yeah, absolutely, it's a big it's a big family, and you meet a lot of people, and and also go to see bands. I'm always hanging out, and yeah. I'm always picking the schedule to see um, who's on the billing, and if I have time, I'll for sure go and. Go and watch a few bands you know yeah. it's total luxury to be able to do that that's i i loved um years ago before i was teching when i was still doing merchandise i loved summer festival season because a lot of the times for a merchandise person you count in your merch with the festival they sell it for you all day long and then you can just do whatever so yeah. one one of my favorite memories um i think it was like 2015 there's a there's a metal festival in montreal called heavy montreal and and I was doing merch that day and I had all day to just walk around to every single stage and just watch all these bands that I never normally get to see. And it was just awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I think we played that a few years ago. Yeah. You, uh, the year I was there, I know you guys weren't, but it was um, it was wild. Um, who was on the stage with us? Right before the band I was working for was Iggy Pop, which was wild. And, um, yeah, they had like no effects and some other bands during the day, but then they have the side stage that's your like black Dahlia murder and misery index and all that stuff. And I was, yeah, I was pretty yeah. much hanging there all day watching that. But yeah. now I had something I actually wanted speaking of summer festivals. I, I was always curious about this. So the, the show at Vakken that you guys did in 2019, um, obviously you had old band members on stage, a lot of moving parts, a lot of pyro, the choir, all of that. How much uh, rehearsal prep do you guys do per, for a performance like that, especially with band members that haven't played in years? Yeah, uh, that one was like for, for starters, it was planned for years. Oh, the idea, you know, from the growth of the idea to to finish. That's a few years. Yeah. And then actual rehearsals, like playing rehearsals, I think we did five or six days straight. Like full days. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, just just with the band. Obviously, no production. Just you guys playing. No. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. In in our in our in our uh, rehearsal place in our studio. Yeah. So yeah, but which was also cool because I remember when when we were going to do that, I was I thought that the rehearsals were like it was too many days because the show was coming up, so I just wanted to get there and start playing the show. Yeah. But I'm also a very impatient person. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, and then I remember there was a guy from a record label there on the day on the show day, and I don't know if he, it was because he was a bit nervous, 
But he asked me several times if I was nervous, and I wasn't, not on that show, because we were so well prepared on that one, like more than we ever have been. So I know my guys, they know what they're supposed to do. The only thing that can, that can happen is a technical uh, issue, you know, but that can happen anywhere, anytime. Exactly. And I'm not going to walk around worry about worrying about that. So I was totally fine and relaxed. Well, that's maybe the wrong word, but but you know, focused without it getting the the overhand, you know. So yeah, no, great, and I really enjoyed it. And that's the thing too, playing a show like that. It's um, sometimes you enjoy the show after you did it. Yeah, yeah, because of you're nervous or something happened or whatever. But I could really be there hundred percent playing that show, which I'm very happy for. Yeah, and you say you say you weren't nervous. I I don't. I don't know if this is the same for you, but at least from my my experience being a roadie and working for bands, after doing it for so long, there is almost a sense of like, not that it's the same thing every night, but it's it, it's just another show. Like like you said, the same things could go wrong at this show that go wrong at any other show. Like yeah. there's there's almost at least from my experience there's almost no reason to really be nervous about anything because it's really at the end of the day we're just going to go up there and do the same thing we do every night anyways you know um, yeah and and I guess like it turns it turns a bit from being nervous to to kind of more excitement and then you know I would be nervous nervous if I didn't rehearse enough yeah. That would those kind of things would take me off more these days. So I make sure that doesn't happen. But no, I don't get nervous like that anymore. More like, yeah, excited about it and and you know looking forward to it. Yeah. How much how much do you play nowadays on your own? Like if you're just at home, not even with the band, how much do you do you just jam or practice? Well, now the the tour is a, a month away, so yeah. now I play every day a few hours. Yeah. It's so funny, yeah. like before we started recording, I told you that I had, um, you know, got a, I, I wanted to get back into playing drums because when I was in a band, I, I played bass. So recently I was like, oh, no, I'll get an electronic drum kit back at home, which is, you know, very different from playing an acoustic kit. It's a different feel for sure. Yeah. But I, I've always had a good rhythm, but I haven't sat on an actual drum kit in like four years. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be able to sit back down and I'll just pick everything back up and be fine. Dude, yeah. I was I was streaming on Twitch when I first started playing drums. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I fucking suck. Like, <laughs> I haven't played in so long, man. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's the things that people don't see. A good example of this is that when I uh, I was living with the drummer for Red when I was teching for him and he eventually actually before their drummer they have now, he was drumming for Inflames for like a few years too. Okay. And um, when I lived with him, he had uh, he had rented out a storage unit near our house and set up his drums in it. The owner of the storage unit let him go in there like after hours when nobody was there and just play in the storage unit. He would go in there for like four to six hours a day, every single yeah. day to practice and play. And I think that's, you know, uh, pe people don't see that. They go to shows and they see their favorite musicians play on stage and they don't get to see all that time that's spent practicing and honing in those skills. And like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of time, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's a lot of time. Like these days I would, I would want to practice more than I do. Uh, but then life happens also, you know, yeah, you know, 
what I'm talking about. And, and um, so I, I really enjoy I'm looking at the drums. That's why I'm looking. At that <laughs> yes. And, you know, in a sense of that sitting down and practicing something you're bad at. When I do that, I really enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. I think it's great because, you know, you, the progress, you know, okay, I really suck at starting a drum fill with my right hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'm going to start doing that. But then it comes to part of, it's also a lot about how you practice. You know, you can sit for eight hours, but you need a good plan that's going to get you somewhere, especially yeah. starting up. Yeah. But I, I hear you out with not playing for four years and then sitting down because it's, <laughs> Dude, Dude, I can have nightmares about that. But oh, it was I had the mis I mistakenly was like, oh, it's to be like riding a bike. I'll be able to still do the same double bass tricks I was doing and everything. And I was yeah. and it's not even just that, it's just the timing too. Like I was so yeah. thrown off. But there is something gratifying, like what you're talking about, about working on things you're not good at. There are certain beats or leading into fills that feel unnatural for me to practice that when I do practice them. There's, there's like a certain click in your head that when you do it right and you feel it, you're like, that's how that's supposed to go. And oh, I yeah. get, I oh, get totally. so excited about those moments, man. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, totally. It's, and then it's, it's almost like your body's like, this is how it's done. You're yeah. like, oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. We had that. We have a song. So here's when you can write songs on uh, some of the songs, he has a great way of thinking about drums. And I have one, one, we have one song called The Lost Battalion. Mm-hmm. And when, if you would listen to it, it, it sounds like the simplest of drum beats, right? So when I was rehearsing for that, for that uh, recording, which was the last stand, um, I kind of put, I listened to it a few times, like, okay, that's an easy one. I'll take that later. Then I focus on the more trickier ones. And then I kind of, forgot about it a little bit and when the night before I came we came to the studio we were going to stay over and start the next morning I'll run through the songs you know and then I started like hey but wait a minute and I'm like okay I have to go in and start playing it and it turns out it's a total mindfuck that song <laughs> and you like it's the, the same beat the whole song but when you start digest or like digesting it yeah like what actually happens where it's that's the most difficult song on that whole album. Yeah. So I sat the whole night practicing that because I couldn't come up in the morning and not knowing the song, you know, but now when I know it, it's super easy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting listening to other music and, and working for different drummers too. Like when I was teching, every drummer has a different feel that's almost kind of like their signature thing. And where you can usually hear it the most is in a lot of um, fills um like for example uh joe the drummer for red and in flames some of the things that he did when i would watch him play live i was like why is he like why first of all why is he even doing it like that but how is he doing it like that because i'll sit down and try and do that same fill and it just feels weird but then but then there are other drummers that would do it differently and you see that a lot when like different drummers join bands they'll do fills differently and stuff like that because every single drummer has their own little unique style that's different from everybody else's and it's it's really cool um so one of the things that you know i i I wanted to talk to you about because it's kind of like what i'm doing too is um you've been getting really into photo and video stuff 
and you know you've been i know you've been doing a lot of stuff for floor and helping tommy out a lot with the majestica stuff have you always been into video stuff or is that something that's somewhat new to you no i've always been super interested in it yeah. and also like photo was always for me like i got a camera early and and I got it at a pawn shop, my first camera, pawn shop in Denver on a US for <laughs> many years ago. A Canon Mark II, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably stolen or something, you know, it was <laughs> very cheap. But but so he, so like going on tour was great to, to get up in the morning. You have a lot of time to kill uh, sometimes. Grab a cup of coffee. Go bring your camera and get out, or put in music in your ears or whatever, and stroll around and take yeah. a photo. And and not not necessarily. I I rarely do anything with my photos. Like I can edit them and then I put them on a hard drive and I don't post them. Some photos I post, but for me it maybe is that the, that process is more important than the result. Is it just like kind of like a like a relaxing therapeutic thing for you to just go out and just take photos? Yeah, and yeah, especially cool. edit them. I love that stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, yeah, no, always been very interested in it. And just that the pandemic came along gave me a lot of more time to to uh, to do it. And then my wife started to decided to uh, bring her YouTube channel to life, you know. So yeah, it's so it's like, dude, it's so funny. I feel like I I've got to bring this up, like. So when I first started doing Nightwish reactions, a joke came up on my channel because in a lot of their videos, they're using the same gear all the time, every single time. And the joke came up that Empu is always playing his signature ESP EV1. And mm -hmm. if I forgot to say that in a video, people would lose their minds. Right. So then when I started doing Sabaton videos, I think one of the first times I ever did one is I, I didn't know that you and Floor were married and somebody in the comments said that, um, you know, you were married. So the next video I did, I threw that in there for trivia. And then somehow that became the thing where oh every time I did a Sabaton video, everybody expected me when I talked about your gear to be like, oh, he's also married to Floor from Nightwish. Right. And then I got tired of just doing it because I'm like, to me, and I hope this doesn't come off disrespectful but it's like that seems irrelevant to the video we're talking yeah. about gear and production it's like you know what i mean oh, so, yeah. in the, so in the last few i haven't brought that up at all and i get like a 50 comments that are like why didn't you say that he's married to floor and i'm like oh fucking everybody knows like come on it's not a big deal <laughs> like yeah. imagine then if we divorce <laughs> oh my god <laughs> what are you then it's gonna hit the fucking fan. Oh my god, dude! It's it, it is for the record. We're not gonna divorce. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's it's so amazing to me the things that people like to know about like the personal lives of their bands. It's like, or the bands that they like. Like everybody always, even if it's people that see my videos for the first time, they're like, "Hey, did you know that Hannes is married to Floor?" And like, I at this point, I ignore those comments because I'm just like, again, like, yes, I know, and it's not a big deal. But yeah. um, it's just funny, man. Like people seeing seeing some people that are really passionate about their favorite bands like argue with each other online. It's like it's it's so wild. And um, but I have to say though that I find that I, I don't read too much 
but I found like since being very active on YouTube and working a lot with it, YouTube is its own forum. I, I think it, that it's it's like it's actually quite funny to read all the comments because it's yeah. like there's a great sense of humor. Yeah. And and it's like I think it's great, really, and I really enjoy it. And people are like, there's some really funny comments coming up, you know? Oh yeah. Dude, yeah. there, there does, I, I get them on my page just doing reactions and I, I legitimately get laughs sometimes from some of the things people are able to come up with. Yeah. But um, there is there is kind of a darker side to it though that I don't like, um, that if I see comments like this, I just delete. I usually don't delete comments even if it's people saying negative things. Yeah. But, if it, but, but if it crosses a certain line, that's completely different. And when you usually get that darker stuff that to me is inappropriate and unnecessary, anytime it's a female fronted band. Um, I, I'm not gonna name the band because I don't know if this is public knowledge, but there is a female fronted metal band that I have been told um, from their label that she cannot even go on YouTube and read the comments because of how inappropriate and like misogynistic and nasty they are half the time. Like she can't even go read the comments to her own videos because it like bums her out. And it's like, that's kind yeah, of a ne oh, negative to that. Oh yeah, totally. And it doesn't belong there at all. So no, no. no. And it's, it, it, and I've seen like, you know, I've, I've seen the same with Nightwish videos at times. It's not as bad, but like I've seen people say inappropriate things about, floor even taria when she was in the band stuff like that and i don't know like i'd be curious to know how you guys handle with that kind of stuff because really quick going back to what we were just saying people are really kind of obsessed with like trying to dig into the personal lives of the bands that they know and mm -hmm. it's like you know you guys are married and you have a kid and stuff like that um do you guys pretty much just stay out of that kind of stuff online. I mean, you seem like pretty private people for the most part to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one, I, I don't think I am like affected by it much. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember like even joining a new band, like uh, joining uh, or whatever band, you know, and then, then you would do your first show and then you would read comments and the, some there will be nine out of ten our comments are great and they are super yeah. positive and they are encouraging and whatnot you know like it should be on on there because because that's what it's for but but then someone would 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 write you know oh he has a ugly nose <laughs> or what a bad example but you know no or, or it's, we, it's always something ridiculous something was, right yeah and, and i remember reading that and i'm like when I scroll through the comments, this is so many years ago, but nobody said anything about the way I played. Because yeah. it was all about how I looked or, you yeah. know, whatever. That means you and can I'm play. Like, yeah, and as long yeah. as like, that would hurt me, you know? Yeah. If somebody would write that, then I would go, immediately go out and practice it more than I do. Mm -hmm. But if you want to think I have an ugly nose, I probably do, and that's fine, you know? <laughs> totally fine but you know what i mean so then that would yeah. affect me a lot more when it comes to my me being a professional musician that i would take that in but you know the bullshit part like i i really don't care i i don't have the time to care and 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 that's as simple as that is i guess it was it was funny when i first started doing the youtube thing i had to make an adjustment to that because like you said nine out of ten comments that you see on any video 
are positive. They're, yeah, it's, totally. it's good stuff. But for some reason, the way that we're wired in our heads, it's that one negative shitty comment yeah. that just drills at us. And I don't know why that is. It's like, I have to remind myself constantly anytime I see like a really out of left field, inappropriate comment from somebody like making fun of me, which I don't care. I can take it. Like, yeah. you know, I knew what I signed up for when I did YouTube, but I have to constantly remind myself. It's like, there are a hundred other super positive comments about this. Like, yeah. don't think about this one stupid one that this person's literally just trying to get a rise out of you anyways. No, you know? indeed. And, and this, Okay, thank you. Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one yeah. of the other one of the other things that I, I I really respect too, because my wife and I do the same, is um, you and Flora pretty much keep your daughter out of social media and stuff like that. And that was a very big thing when we had our daughter too. I was like, you know, lots of people were like, "Oh, bring her on YouTube," and "Oh, stuff like that." And I was like, mm, "I don't think I'm going to do that." And it's no. it's. I, I I just basically I just want to bring that up to say like I, I have a lot of respect for you guys about that because there are a lot of other people that do bring their kids into their social media lives. And a lot of the times it seems almost as if they're using them as like an object for more views and stuff. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I guess for us, it's as simple as I think it's her choice. Mm -hmm. And now she's too young to, to make that choice. Yep. But I mean, we didn't have this problem when we grew up because there, there was no YouTube. Exactly. And yeah, nobody yeah. was going to put, put you on, well, maybe the Nirvana album cover without you wanting it. <laughs> yes. But, but, uh, but so then I, I don't know, like maybe she doesn't fucking want to be on s some stupid YouTube video, whatever, you know, then it's up to her when she can choose in, in, in 15 years. And that's it, fine. It, it's really cool that you said that because for me, I'm, I'm more of the, in my mindset, I was like, there's a lot of weirdos on social media and that's why I don't want her there. But my wife said the same thing you said. She was like, it's more of a consent thing. She's 11 months old. She can't tell us whether she wants to be online or not. And I was like, no, that's a, that's a really good point. That's yeah. uh, um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, before we wrap this up and we may not, I don't know how long of a story this is, but this is one of those things that I think is true but it was on the internet. So you've probably been asked this a bunch, but I've never heard it and I would like to hear it from you. I want to know the story about your surname, your last name. Cause, right. yeah. cause I, I read online, you can, you can give me the story yourself, but I did read yep. online that Vandal is like, you legally changed it to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, so it's like actually really stupid. Um stupid thing actually you know because we were like i guess like just turned 18 because you can't change your name here before yeah. that uh and um we were drinking beer in my in my apartment and then all of us so here's the full the full scope scope of it there was an old artist in sweden called carl pedal called pedal which is a rhyme right mm -hmm. and my my middle name is carl so he comes to me and he says, if you would add a P between Carl and Dahl, you would be called the same. And I'm like, yeah, but wh why would I do that? It's like, yeah, okay. And then it came up scandal on the, on the table for suggestions as well to add scan before, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I said, but what about Vandal, you know? And, you know, yeah, that's cool, whatever, you know? And we kept drinking. 
an hour passes or something like that. This guy comes to me with a piece of paper and he says, sign here. <laughs> okay. I signed it. And on our way to the pub or the bar, uh, we put it on the, on the mailbox. Three <laughs> weeks later, I get a letter from the government and it's, it literally said previous name, new name. And I forgot about it. Like, oh. what the fuck is this? Oh yeah, was that that paper we posted? You know, so so there it is, and it was like totally bad timing as well because I was going on tour, and it, which means my passports were oh, not valid. No. So I had to get like one of those, um, you know, that like what is it called preliminary passports or whatever. Yeah, that lasts like six months to be able to make the tour. Dude, that's like the shittiest part of the story. <laughs> like that. You yeah, did, I don't know yeah. if I told that before, but that was like. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's invalid the moment you change your name, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the same. Yeah, no, dude, it's... so so that is, I'm surprised the internet actually wins that one because that is very close to the story that I read. But I that part about the passport is wild. That sucks. It's almost the yeah. same. My wife had the same thing happen when uh, when we got married. She took my name. Yeah. And then we didn't think about that where it's like, oh, you got to get a new passport now. And it's like... Yeah. So we had to get a passport expedited for like a trip we were taking and stuff like that. And like, yeah. that's dude, I didn't even think about something like that. You had to, you had to pretty much change everything you had then, right? IDs, credit cards, debit cards. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, that is one hell of a funny story though. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be. Yeah, it's been so long, but, and then a lot of people think I'm Dutch also, you know? Yeah. This sounds very Dutch, which is like total <laughs> random that I'm also married to to one. Yeah, I think. Am I actually... in the Netherlands? A lot of people ask me if, if I'm Dutch. I'm like, no, not at all. I'm very Swedish, you know. Yeah, that's actually but... funny because the first time I think I did do a Sabaton video, I remember looking at everybody's names and I was like, Swedish, Swedish, Swedish. That one's definitely Dutch. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I actually did one of those uh, tests a, a couple of years ago where you can see, you know, where you're you're from. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like so excited to 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 what I could find, you know. But no, it was Swedish, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I was like, that's it. Like yeah. okay, we did like, um, um, yeah, like ancestry. That's that's what we did too. Yeah, and yeah. it's fu it's funny being American because. Um, I've, I've talked with a lot of the people that are on like our discord and stuff about, um, ancestry stuff, because since I've started doing YouTube like a year and a half ago, I've gotten so much more into like other countries, cultures. And like, oh. I can get to the point where I can see somebody's name and, and pretty much guess where they're from or hear an accent and guess where they're from. And because remarkably somehow the majority of my viewer base on YouTube is actually European. It's not American at all. Yeah. yeah, like the number one country is Germany. And then it, after that, it's like Sweden, Finland, UK. <laughs> and it's it's like, so the, I talk to a lot of Swedes and a lot of Finns almost daily at this point. Um, but when we did the ancestry thing, I was like, what's going to come up here? Because being American, yeah, we're pretty much just everything thrown in. Um, yeah. And the funny thing with Americans is they like they like to find out what their what their ancestry is and then pick the one thing that they think is coolest and tell everybody that. So right, right. you'll get somebody that's like 
5% Italian. And they'll be like, he's like, oh, yo, my family's Italian. And I was like, yeah, maybe your great, 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 great grandmother was or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Irish, Irish and Italian is really popular in the U.S. That's what people usually pick. So me, yeah. gr me growing up, I was always told that my mom's side of my family was um, Irish and Romanian. And then my dad's side of my family was like Scottish and Welsh or something. And then when I got my DNA test back, it's like everything's way less than what I was told. It's like Welsh was the number one thing followed by Irish. And then it's like, there's like Romanian, Danish, Swedish, uh, Dutch, English. Like it's insane, man. Like most people that do a DNA test in the U S are going to get like 12 different results at least. Yeah. Which is amazing. If you think about it, Yeah, yeah. it's, it's also in that sense, a very young country. Mm-hmm. And so, so naturally it's going to be like for coming from all over the place. Yeah. And it's, it's funny to, 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 we have until 10, just so you know. Oh, wow. We can keep going then. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sweet. Perfect. Um, it, it's interesting because when I travel out of the country and somebody asks like, like, Oh, where are you from? Or what are you or whatever? I'll American, of course, you know, but when you're in the U S and you ask another person that, they always go back to like their roots of their ancestry. So you'll get a lot of people saying, you know, German, Swedish, Italian, Irish, Dutch, all that stuff. It's just, it's mm -hmm. fascinating to me that people really latch onto that over here, even though it's probably less than a quarter of their actual genetic makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Maybe something to be proud of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was just disappointed. I wanted to find some <laughs> yeah. really cool stuff or, you know, yeah, another one. Uh, uh, one of my Finnish friends did that recently, and the same thing happened. He was hoping there was yeah. going to be something cool in there, and he's like, "No, nah, it's hundred percent Finn." <laughs> yeah, yeah, same for me, hundred percent Swedish. Yeah, that's uh, funny, man. Yeah. And it's I I get really into my my family history. Um, one of the things I do I enjoy doing is the ancestry dot com stuff. Um, my one side of my family has done a really good job at keeping records of our entire family line. And yeah, cool. one of the things um, I was actually telling my grandparents about Sabaton the other day because, and they're like both 90. They think that rock and roll and metal is the devil. Like they wouldn't get it. So, but my dad's side of my family is very military background. And okay. one of my great, great, great grandfathers was a major general for the union in the American civil war. And I actually have like, I don't know if you can see on the wall back there, that's actually his sword that he used like on the field in battle. Oh wow. And I have, um, some parts so that's of his... from the civil war, that sword. What's up? That's from the civil war it was used there. Yeah. I have three of them. One of, I have oh, two that two that he used in battle and one that was just for dress for like celebratory yeah, stuff. Yeah, right, yeah. And then I have some of his, his medals and stuff like that. So because my grandparents are really into the military history and stuff, I started telling them about Sabaton and I was like, yeah, there's this band from Sweden that all of their music is like historical based. It's not always military, but a lot of it is, and it's all historical. And I was telling them, you know, I was like, yeah, they have a new album coming out. That's like a part two of a, uh, their last album that was about world war one. And I started telling them about all these stories that I've learned from your music and then from Sabaton history and stuff. And they're like, we don't learn about that kind of stuff. I was like, I know it's insane. Like the history, 
the one thing that I've seen common amongst Sabaton fans is how much people learn from the actual music. Because, especially in the U.S., our education system teaches us very U.S.-centric stuff. We don't learn about something unless the U.S. was directly involved with it. Yeah. So the fact that you guys do Sabaton history and all this stuff with your music, it's it's just very impressive to me that you guys have transcended beyond music, man. I mean, it's it's a very cool thing. And because, you know, you're not an original member of the band, what was you, coming into Sabaton, mm -hmm. did it make you get more into history or were you already kind of into this stuff before you joined? No, it totally got me more into it. Yeah. I was not I was not very interested at all in, in before, you know, and I always found it to be important, but I wouldn't dig much deeper than mm -hmm. the general story or what you saw on a documentary. But coming into a band where now then Joachim and Per are the, the or only original members left, where there's a... I guess it doesn't really matter what it is, but it's a genuine interest in something, and that kind of really rubs off. Yeah. So you would hear them talk about stories, or we would start making heroes, which was the, my first album. And you're like, you hear these stories, and you start reading about them that are going on to the album, and you start to wonder why haven't I seen this in a movie? Mm -hmm. It's like crazy stories, you know, in different ways, you know. So yeah, totally more interested these days. Does it? Hundred percent. This might be a weird question, but some of the backgrounds of these songs, does it affect your playing live at all? In terms of like, let's say a certain song comes up and it's a story that you connect to, or you're in that country of that the song is about. Yeah. Does that energize you more sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I... And we, we played. We played. Um, also some places where an actual person or, you know, descendant of that person is there. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I mean, one example is uh, we played in, in Brazil and we have a song about the smoking snakes, which was an expeditionary force that the, the, the Brazil, that Brazil sent for World War II. And in comes this guy, he's 94, I think. And this song is about his, uh, you know, company. And I think he was one out of two still alive or very few anyway. Wow. He had a translator and his son was there. And the first thing he does that he looks at me and he, he does this with his hand. And then he does. I'm like, what did he say? He said, no, you're too tall. You're going to be shoot, shot by a sniper immediately. So he, <laughs> He said he that guy can't go to war. Wow. He was, you know, joking, but yeah, but still, but I mean, we got this. We got him in this because uh, he's ninety four, so he can't be in the pit, you know. So he was up on the balcony, and we could play this song, you know. And he was, yeah, super special moment in that sense, you know. Yeah. So, so for sure, it it can be. Uh, yeah. And also, like, also, what I think is super nice is that when we do travel different countries different songs comes onto the set list, mm -hmm. which kind of as a musician keeps it super fresh all the time. You know, if it would do European tour, we come to uh, Czech Republic, we're going to add a few songs that are about that history. 
when yeah. we come to Sweden, it's going to be a couple more. So instead of doing the same set list, kind of keeps you on your toes and and yeah, it's nice to to stay keep keep those songs active in that sense, like yeah. rehearsal wise. And I, I imagine when you're in Sweden too, uh, the lyrical translation can change as well because obviously you've got some songs that are probably going to be sung in Swedish instead. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the crowd probably goes just ape shit for that, you know. Um, yeah. I remember one of the, I think it was the the second or third video I ever saw from you guys was uh, in Liefstede Krieg from uh, the Great Tour. And it was, oh my God, dude. I mean, that was like, I'm not Swedish and that teared me up watching that. It's ridiculous. That's one of the things about your music that I find fascinating is like, I've watched these videos and then I've read the stories and it's like, I feel a sense of pride for a country that I have like no connection to whatsoever. Like yeah. song, songs like 40 to one or, um, um, God, there was another one off the top of my head. I was going to name and I'm having a blank, but it just, it, it makes me feel for another country that I've like have no connection to other than that. And it's, it's, I, I think that's just such a really cool thing about the music, man. It, it's just, it's so fun. It's so fun and fascinating. And not only um i've heard stories about teachers that use your music to teach their kids in schools yeah i think that's super awesome when, <laughs> when they do yeah yeah, yeah totally totally great i mean if, if it can be used in that sense and people learn a thing or two that's that's great and i also think it's super cool too if you just want to drink beer and headbang and yeah. just enjoy yeah. heavy metal and if you want to totally go dig, out, dig deeper, History Channel Indie is waiting for you. Yeah. If he's still alive after the Unkillable Soldier. <laughs> Dude, how, how fun was that scene where you guys were just standing over him, just just basically killing him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, it's, 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 it's over the top, yeah. you know, awarely over the top. And that was a great shoot, you know. It was yeah. so much fun. And one thing that he told us and which was like great was that i don't know if you remember this there's a scene where i shoot him and chris and i think tommy is doing a high five yeah they're like cheering right and indy is a historian right yeah and he knows so much this guy so after we did that and we had a bit of a break and a coffee and this is supposed to be 1914 i think something like that yeah he comes up and he says Boys, just so you know, the high five wasn't invented until 1979 <laughs> or something like that. And we're like, oh shit! But hey, whatever. It's dude, it's, it's a good joke. There, dude, that's amazing. There are people that that watch your videos. That I saw somebody comment and be like, uh, that gun that they're using in the music video wasn't invented yet. And I'm just like, I mean, I don't know that. It didn't ruin it for me. Like you know, yeah. There's 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 so many people that are on the internet that are quick to point out like little stuff like that that are just like, um, you know, whether it's the gun style or stuff. And then there are people that are really knowledgeable. Like, um, I think it was it was another video, um, that there was a certain plane in it. And mm-hmm. somebody was like, that com- yeah. And somebody yeah. in, in the comments was like, oh, that country was not using that plane in that year. I'm like, how do you even know that? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, it's just, it's, it's funny, man. But the, the accuracy with everything um, is yeah, just- but that's the thing. Like we, we, we never said that we were history 
professors or teachers. We, we yeah. do as good as we can as musicians and being very interested in it. But even in that sense, as just musicians that are delivering the history, you guys are still incredibly accurate with the storytelling and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's pretty damn impressive, man. Um, to get it as right as we can. Yeah. So going go to your live show, I've always asked. Obviously, most people that know the band now know, like, you're playing on a fucking tank during the shows, which is incredible. But there's a lot of pyro on that thing, too. Um, does that ever affect you playing or have you had any weird incidents like accidents with any pyro related stuff on the tank? Very rarely, actually. Yeah. I mean, I had 30 days of Joachim shooting me with a bazooka. <laughs> yeah. Like literally day in and day out. That's what I've been doing, you know. Oh, here yeah. we come. And the thing was that, that that was like in the end of Night Witches. Have you seen that when he yeah, comes yeah, up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the things that the whole tank kind of like it shakes like hell, you know, because it's like properly loaded that thing. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, from when I first saw that video and I I saw that, mm -hmm. I assumed that there was just like a flash pot or something connected to your tank that triggered at the same time. He's actually shooting something at the tank. No, 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 no. I mean, okay, I was, okay. The, the bazooka is shooting, and there's things coming out of power yeah. coming out of that. But the tank is like prepped like hell, man. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then, you know, it's connected, and then everything happens at once. Yeah, yeah. But still, though, like, it, it wouldn't make much difference if it would actually shoot something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just realized how dumb that sounded when I asked that because I, I used to be a pyrotechnician. And mm -hmm. right when that came out of my mouth, I was like, that would never clear fire codes. <laughs> like, no, no, but no, you get but, shut down. But yeah, but yeah, no, but I remember a few years ago, like, oh, many years ago, just when we got the tank, um, we had CO2 coming out of. So we have two tanks we have Audi and we have. Um, no, I'm blanking out. Uh, Walter. That's right, yeah, yeah. the name. Yeah. I was uh, trying to remember it too, and I forgot. Yeah. Um, so when we had Audi, there was C it was a CO2 coming out. And I was playing, and then at one point I'm like, it's so fucking cold, you know? I was freezing. And like, especially like from here up until here, you know? <laughs> kind of the worst part. Yeah. And I realized that one of the hoses for the CO2 had come loose. <laughs> no. And I was in the middle of a song and the next one would start straight off. And I'm like trying to contact somebody on stage, like help, you know, and my hands were getting like, because it's freezing. That's yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Two songs later, we had a pirate guy coming up with a wrench. And he was, he was like walking very slowly over stage. And then he looked at me and he gave me the thumbs up. <laughs> like, why are you giving me the thumbs up? <laughs> and then he would screw the thing back on again. And it was all fine. Oh, man. I actually I had uh, a parent come up to me on stage. Yeah. And he's like, look at my beard. And there's like half a decimeter that came off, you know, and it's oh, no way. still glowing, you know. I was like, look at my beard, you know. <laughs> he was oh, my too God. close with his head. Did the uh, I I actually made a drummer um, almost pass out once. We did a we did a show in this like really low ceiling club, and we were using six CO two jets on stage for mm -hmm. special effects, and two of them were on the back of the drum riser on the corners, mm -hmm. and the last like downbeat of the last song on the trash can ending, he's up there just you know doing this. 
and I'm holding the CO2 going off and the whole stage is covered in, um, you know, the, the gas that comes out and stuff like that. And it's CO2, so it's not, you know, dangerous or anything. But yeah. what it does is it rips all the oxygen out of the air. And yeah, yeah. I learned a very bad lesson that day because our drummer, <laughs> our drummer started throwing his drumsticks off the stage at me to try and get me to stop. And finally, when I stopped, he, he did understand that that was it, though, you know, or maybe there was no doubt about it, that that was the cause of it. No, oh, no, he knew that was it. Like okay. he was like, cause I, I held that CO2 shot for like a good 20 seconds. And because, yeah. because the ceiling was only maybe like uh, eight feet, like two and a half meters, something like that. It was, it was low. And all of it hit the ceiling and came back down and engulfed everybody on the stage so they couldn't breathe. And oh, yeah. that was like, I had never even thought of that until that day. And I learned a, a hard lesson. And then when the smoke cleared, he's like holding onto his floor, Tom, like bent over, like about to pass out because no oxygen when all that stuff's yeah. up there. It was, it was, yeah. it, it's crazy, man. Learning like, and it's, it's, sucks that we have to learn those in the moment sometimes like that you know yeah, but that's that's the hard way we yeah, had yeah. A good one with we had a, a butt kicker oh know, like on the, on the riser yeah yeah and me and, and my drum tech Keba have been laughing about this for many years since it happened because it's like a total display of bad communication you know between ev everyone where the the whole show it has the like it just been going lower and lower and lower. So at, at the point I can't feel it anymore. So for the people that don't know what a butt kicker is, it's a subwoofer you place under a drum chair or whatever. And every time you hit your bass drum, it's gonna shake, it, right? Instead of putting a big subwoofer monitor up there, you can screw that onto whatever. You can have it on your office chair if you want that. Yeah. And it uh, goes to uh, um, an amp and so forth. And I was like, why is it not, it's not working. And he, he kept it with then crank up the amplifier. Uh, the monitor guy would crank up the input signal. And at one point we, we come to Encores and we have a little break. So we're standing discussing this. What are we supposed to do? Because the thing is not working. And then, okay, we, okay, fuck it. We'll play the show anyway. It's not a big, much of a big deal. Just when I go back up for Encore, uh, and this is a big show too. And uh, then Kebe has the idea that maybe the mic has been coming out of the bass drum, like the simplest fucking solution. Yeah. You know? So he goes around the kit and, oh yeah, the mic is a meter away from the bass drum, you know? <laughs> so guess what happens? He puts it back in. Oh no. And dude, that chair was shaking so much, I flew off of that chair. It's like, <laughs> and I just flew off the drum kit. And then I was like, well, what the fuck happened, you know? Oh my God. We had to restart the song. Dude, it's always the dumbest, simplest thing on the road when something yeah. goes wrong. Always. Yeah. Like, I, I can't remember who I was telling this to, but I there were times where I liked the challenge. I, I always want a show to go perfect, but we all know that rarely ever happens. Something always yeah. goes wrong. It's technology. Um, but I always liked the challenge of something going wrong and trying to fix something. And one day, this was a couple of years ago before the pandemic started. 
um, one of the guitar players that I was teching for, his whole complete rig just went down. It stopped working. So I was like, okay. Went and checked the amps. The tubes are still on. Everything's good. Went and looked at the pedal board. Everything's lit up. All the connections are plugged in. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. So I just put him on a cable and was like, sorry, dude, you're just going to have to play straight out of your amp the rest of the show. And then the next day when I'm setting up, I noticed that the power block from the uh, SDI box, because we ran XLRs, Volver Looms, was unplugged like that much. Right. And and it was enough to not power the XLR lines for his rig. And I'm like, that's it? Just that <laughs> little thing out of everything oh, yeah. that happened? Like, yeah. um, and then going back to Pyro, one of the worst things I ever saw that happen <laughs> was, uh, and I can't imagine, dude, like the the, safety and the fire marshal drills you guys have to do because you guys have a lot of the walkthroughs and demos that they have to do have got to be insane because you guys have so much um one of the worst things i ever saw was uh was five finger death punch actually this happened too we did a festival that five finger death punch was on and they um they were playing right before three days grace and three days grace had a ton of pyro so the whole back downstage edge of the behind their set pieces was just propane tanks. That's just everywhere. The monitor engineer for five finger death punch was running the monitor for the drummer so high that the thing lit on fire Oof. and the, the drum tech, and this is immediate gut reaction. I may have probably done the same thing. The drum tech grabs the monitor while it's on fire and tosses it behind him off the back of the drum riser into the propane tanks that three days grace has for their show and every like the stage manager for the festival like started evacuating the stage and get like shut down the show made everybody yeah. get out because they were expecting like a, a bomb to go off basically yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like so yeah when you have pyro in your shows like that man it's nothing to play around with no um, totally not there's a reason why there are no smoking on stage signs yeah Yep. And, um, how, so I know I've talked to one of them, but how many pyro guys do you usually have out with you? Um, three. Okay. I was going to say, it's gotta be at least a couple for all of that. Yeah. Usually three or more actually. Yeah. Let's say between three and five, depending on the show. So when you guys are doing a headlining tour, like the tour that was supposed to get out, which is funny because I've told some people like, you know, we haven't talked in detail about it, but like, I wanted to go to Europe to see some of those shows and hopefully I will when the tour goes on. But when you tour on a headlining tour like that, what does your touring party usually look like? Cause obviously you've got the band members and your own techs and stuff like that. But I imagine you've got a lot of people traveling with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, like, like I said, and, and it depends on, on the tour yeah. and where, where it is, I guess last European tour was around a hundred. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that. So I was trying to tell people like when I saw the, the great tour, uh, live videos, you know, obviously I didn't see any of the buses or trucks in the video, but just from everything that was on stage, I'm like, they've got to have at least six or seven semi trucks out there, probably six, seven buses for all the people that are traveling at least like it's not. A, and that going back to what we were talking about days off, one of the other reasons bands don't want to take days off is because if you take a day off on tour, you're not making money, you're losing money. Like all of that stuff has to be rented and paid for and stuff like that. That's, it's a lot of cost, man, but. You've got to plan it, 
planned it well. Yeah, very well. So we, we had a, a great moment on that tour where we striped the the, the trucks with the, that poster for that tour, which was the five of us walking towards like this total movie set kind of poster. And the first day I was coming in, me and Chris, I think it was coming into the venue, the first day of the tour. And we didn't get our laminates yet. So we show up and there's a guard there. I think this was in Austria. And uh, he's like, yeah, show me your laminates. Like, yeah, we, we don't have, we didn't get it yet. You know, it's the first day we'll get it inside. He's like, yeah, but I'm not letting you, you in without the laminates. <laughs> Trying to get a hold of the tour manager, the production manager, nobody picks up because it's like a total bunker in there. So nobody can have a, have reception. It's like, this guy's seriously not letting us into the venue. Fucker. And then I see the trucks. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this move now. I'm like, excuse me, you see those trucks there? And he looks at them like, yeah, that's me to the left. And that's uh, Chris over there. And he looks at us and he goes over to the trucks and he stands there. Good while, man, like looking at these pictures. Uh, and then he walks back to us again. And he goes back and forth and he says, what the? he said, you look, you look better on this one, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, fair enough. And then we actually got into the venue. Uh, I, I laugh because that's, that's literally happened to me and people I've worked for so many times, like not even just first day tour. We had a girl, we had a girl out with us. Um, I think she was doing lighting on a tour a couple of years ago where she'd never toured before. She'd always worked in a shop for a lighting company and yeah. she, she didn't understand that you needed to have your, your laminate on you at all times to get in and out of the building. Yeah. So she, uh, she came to the bus after the show, dude, how, how much does that dog weigh? 70 kilos. Oh my God. My dog is like half the size of that. Yeah, oh, he's man. Big, yeah, but he's only one year old, so he's actually uh, one still a puppy. Oh my god, dude! Our dog just turned eight, and he's like half that size. Yeah, that's was, funny. They call them gentle giants. Oh yeah. Um. So back back to what I was telling you. Oh, yeah. Um. Yep. Sorry. No, I got distracted by the dog. I love dogs. Um. Yeah. This girl came out to the bus to get her shower bag to go inside and shower, but she left her tour pass and on the bus, she goes inside and this is at the, the bell center in Montreal, mm -hmm. um, big building and uh, very tight with security. Mm -hmm. She goes into the dressing room to take a shower. She comes back out and I guess she gets lost, like trying to get back out to the buses. It, okay. Yeah. Which can happen. Yeah. They're so such a huge places. So she's doing loops around like the backstage area of the bell center and security sees her and security's like, Hey, can you, uh, can you show us your tour pass? And she's like, Oh, I, I left it on the bus. And they're like, yeah, you need to come with us. And they, they literally detained her because they thought that she was a crazy fan that had snuck backstage. And, and our tour manager had to like come inside and go to their security office. And she's in there like bawling. She's like so terrified and scared yeah. because that she's going to get in trouble. And, and then he's like, the tour manager is like, no, 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 she's with us. And they're like, okay, we just thought she snuck backstage. And he's like, 
she's wearing sandals and has a shower bag with her. Like what, you know, sometimes the security people just take too far. I've seen, um, Papa Roach, their band members don't even use tour, uh, tour laminates anymore. Their tour manager takes a picture of them and puts them on every door backstage of the venue and tells their security in their meeting, like, here's their picture. They don't wear passes, let them in wherever they go. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I guess you, you, you have to look very much the same every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my favorite one was at a festival a couple of years ago where uh, I get, I'm, I like to go up on stage to check out my drums and talk to Kev, have a coffee or whatever during the day, you know? And uh, and I, I show up and he's like, yeah, show me your laminate. I'm like, yeah, here it is, AAA. And he's like, you need four A's. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, are you, you're kidding, right? He's like, no, you need four. I'm like, what the fuck? Maybe I missed something, you know? I never heard that. Yeah. I'm like, Okay, what does the, the the fourth A stand for? He's like, uh, access all, and he didn't know. Like, dude, <laughs> and he wouldn't let me on stage. I'm like, okay, uh, so I had to call somebody on stage that could come and escort me up, you know. But I still yeah. wonder today, access all areas, <laughs> what all done. Yeah, that's I've never heard something like that. Well, I've well, I've been stopped many times trying to as an opener trying to go on stage to watch a headliner or something. And they're like, ah, oh, you don't have the right pass or what? I'm like, no, I do. It's just different from the headliners. Like a lot of the security people, these venues <clears throat> don't really pay attention to their security briefings. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I, the worst one I ever had was, um, I was walking the guitar player that I work for to stage from the dressing room while the intro is rolling. And we get to the side of the stage and the security person takes out their flashlight. It's like dark stage. The intro is rolling. Security takes out their flashlight and goes like looking at the side of his pants, like laminate, you got your tour pass. And he's got his guitar on. Mm -hmm. Like he's like holding his guitar with his wireless pack on ready to go. And he's like, no, oh, you can't go on stage. And I'd like literally was like, he's in the band. And she's like, I was just told anybody, nobody can go on stage without a pass. And I'm like, they're literally about to play like no but i love that though like yeah. you know you have you have one job yeah and some i'm going to do it <laughs> yeah yeah some people yeah. do those jobs man yeah oh hell yeah I, I mean i've i've had it happen in arena shows where like during the show i usually take off my laminate and uh put it in my work box and i've i've tried to go up the stairs from my guitar world that's right there to go up on stage to do a guitar change and i'll have a security person like grab me and be like where's your pass I'm like come on man yeah but but you know what at the end of the day i think i'd rather have them be too secure than not enough yeah. you know unfortunately yeah that's, yeah cuz i mean we've, we've seen some crazy stuff happen you know yeah and and it's funny because people people always try and get on stage at a lot of the concerts i've worked at um I don't know why people do that. I don't know why they want to get up there, probably just to be seen or say they did it. But yeah, the, surf. but the, the thing for us as crew guys is we don't know what people's intentions are when they're getting on stage. Yeah, We just assume that everybody is hostile for the most part. And like, you know, security, usually tour security does their jobs really well and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. Um, so before before i let you go here we got a couple minutes i just wanted to ask um you know obviously a lot of people that are familiar with you and floor and stuff know you have a daughter and all that um 
over the last couple of years, touring hasn't been really going on because of the pandemic. So you've been able to be home and stuff, but um, how, how is it with both of your touring schedules with your daughter? Does she usually come on the road with one of you guys? Yeah, sometimes okay. we've had the, the, we were like, we haven't had that many overlapping tours throughout the years. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been a lot of planning for sure. You yeah. get really good at planning and, um, and then, yeah, for sure. She was uh, definitely, I mean, she was on tour with, uh, with Floor when she was uh, eight months. Oh, wow. In the U.S. for, for um, yeah. I don't know, six weeks or something like that. Yeah. Which was like, my biggest worry would be that she wouldn't sleep well on a bus. Mm -hmm. But man, was I wrong? I mean, it's basically a 30 meter long, you know, stroller that yeah. the radiator going like, dude, I you know how, how well kids sleep yeah. in a car. I so that was like no problem at all. She slept like literally a baby. Yeah, but then yeah. the problem was coming home. Yeah, that's, that's always my problem. I my yeah. my wife would give me like she wouldn't give me a hard time, but she's like, "Do you sleep good on the road?" And I was like, "I sleep great on the road." And she's like, "Cause yeah. like I do not sleep well at home. I always slept better on the road." Um, yeah, so do I. But then you know we live in the middle of nowhere and we literally have no neighbors. Yeah, and here's like it's totally silent. So then it's like, oh yeah. So that was a few weeks getting you back used back to that but yeah no yeah she's been along for sure that's awesome I think she, she was in in uh, more countries before she popped out of floor's belly than most people go in their lives and, yeah i mean it's i mean at least you know it's it's different over in europe because all you guys are somewhat close together but in the states it's such a big country that I know people that have literally never left their home state, let alone the country. So, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I just thought that was cool when I was reading a lot about you guys and your kid and stuff like that, because of, you know, working in the music industry. When I, when yeah. I found out my wife was pregnant for me, I was, I in my head, I was like, I'm done. Um, yeah. and that's, you know, I've been a roadie for 15 years and, for you guys, and this is just the situation for you guys being band members and stuff like that. It's a, it's a little easier for accommodations and stuff. Um, in terms of bringing your kid along, I had a lot of people that were telling me, they were like, Oh, why don't you just bring your kid on the road? I'm like, I'm not bringing my kid on the road as a roadie for yeah. a band. Like it's not yeah. happening. No, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. I think like, as I think it's also good for them in a way, like I get it. If you're working, that's, super tricky to, to bring it and, and yeah. it wouldn't work. And it's going to be stressful for the parent anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, though my mom always took me traveling a lot everywhere when I was a kid. And, and so I think it's in terms of just traveling the world, I mean, not bringing them to your yeah, job yeah, yeah. per se, but I think it's very important to I think get them out. Yeah, it's very important, especially, you know, especially- But for the... us, it was funny when, when she, they were on that tour, we had just wrapped up a U.S. tour. And when night we started their tour, um, I flew over to join them for a couple of weeks, just being a dad. But it was so funny because I would come into a lot of the same venues that we just did. And the dudes, when I came in, like, uh, are you back again? <laughs> like, yes, I am, but I'm not playing. Yeah, I'm just yeah. being a dad, you know, and we could spend all days, you know, being out and checking stuff. I mean, I was out in New York City with her, just ch strolling around, 
Yeah. So I'm very fortunate to be able to do that, of course. But I just remember that, that moment of they were like, you back? Yeah. You're playing this band as well? Like, no, 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 no. I'm dead. Yeah. No playing for me. Just fun today. Yeah. I've had that happen on tours uh, working for people. Like, I'll finish a tour with one band in one area and then I'll pick up another tour with another band and we'll be in, I'll be in the same venue I was just in and same thing. People are like, weren't you just here? And I was like, yeah, different work. Um, yeah. It's funny too. Cause when I was reading, cause I've been to a lot of the same venues that you know, you have, when I read this story about how you and floor first met, it was, it was wild for me because when I first heard that story, I had just been to that venue and I've been to that venue a million times. Um, mm -hmm. I, it was the intersection in grand rapids. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I remember hearing you telling that story about you guys like sitting at the at the front bar and stuff. And I was like, dude, I've had so many nights where I've probably sat in those same seats, like drinking after shows. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so, so what wild. you're meaning is that if you would have been there, you and me would have been married. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Who knows, man? Yeah. yeah who knows? Oh, that's funny. Um, so dude, we're, we've been sitting here for a while and I really appreciate you for your time before we wrap up here and I let you go. I just always like asking this to the guests that are on here. Um, for anybody that's already a fan of your band or that may be new to your band or anything like that, especially in the times that we're in right now, uh, what is the best way in your opinion as a band member, what is the best way for fans to support you guys, whether or whether or not it's financial or not just music or anything like that? Um, I think just come out to a show. I think we'll, we're all just want to go to shows. I do yeah. and everybody else. So I'm looking forward to seeing people there and I can't wait, you know, oh, to, yeah. to, uh, to, to do start touring again, meeting all my friends and seeing all the fans everywhere around the world. And that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Well, I think whenever your, your, your European headlining tour happens, I think it's safe to say that's going to be probably sold out almost every day because just from YouTube comments and people on discord and stuff like that, I mean, people are like hundreds of people that I've seen just on my channel alone have already said that they've got tickets to those shows. So cool. I think Super it's going to be awesome, man. And hopefully I'll yeah. be able to make it over there for some of that too. But, um, but just as a reminder to everybody that might be listening, uh, March 4th, the war to end all wars new album from sabaton that's actually probably going to be the day i'm going to release this so for anybody that's listening to it on uh this release day go get the fucking album it's out <laughs> yeah yeah enjoy it i hope you like it it's been long in the making and even longer for it to come out so i'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what people think about it i'm super proud of it i think it sounds great i think we're playing great there's some killer solos i'm a solo guy yeah so uh, yeah hope you like well, it with with Tommy and Chris, I have no, you know, no doubts ever. Whenever I hear a solo coming up in a song, so, and I have all the confidence in the world that this album's gonna kick ass, man. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, seriously, man, thank you so very much for your time today. I appreciate it. And um, you know, maybe one of these days, if you guys make it back here, I make it to Europe. I'll finally be able to see you guys live. Oh, cheers! You're more than welcome, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, man. Take care. Well, that was awesome, man. I can't think of a better way to kick off this series than in the way that we just did it. So many good stories, so much random conversation, and that's the way that I plan to keep it on this podcast. I don't really like the typical interview format of just questions and answers, and also, a lot of these artists get asked the same stuff 
all the time when they do media stuff daily. This way lets us get to know each other better and it lets you guys, the listeners, see a more relaxed side of some of your favorite artists. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Music, or Google Podcasts, thank you very much. And once again, thank you to our very first guest, drummer Hannes Vandal of Sabaton. Now, just as a reminder, Sabaton's brand new album, The War to End All Wars, is out worldwide now. They're kicking off a Swedish tour in April, then they've got summer festivals, and they're planning on rescheduling their headlining European tour that did get postponed, so be on the lookout for all of that. If you're on social media, you can find me there as well. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, and my handle on all of that stuff is at TankTheTech. Thank you very much once again. Be safe, be kind to each other, and I will see you very soon for another Back Lounge podcast.